Good evening, Purple family. Welcome to another episode of Shades of Purple, a Prince podcast. On tonight's episode, I'm going to be counting down my favorite top 10 Prince interviews. So before I get started, if you can just imagine, it was not too hard to put this list together, but at the same time, it kind of was only because we all know that Prince didn't do a lot of interviews, um, not televised interviews anyway. He did, uh, have quite a few uh, like magazine interviews that he did uh, throughout his lifetime, but the TV interviews were very uh, sparse. So putting this list together, I actually had to go back and watch a lot of these interviews and kind of kind of figure out what I liked about them. But y'all are gonna really like this list, so let's get right into it. So at number ten, I've got his very first televised interview that he did with MTV back in 1985. And I think this was, uh, when he was, um, uh, getting ready to film under the cherry moon or right around the time that he was filming it. Uh, because they talked about the film in the movie and they had the girl that plays their landlady, the French lady. I can't, her name escapes me right now, but you know, she said a few words about the movie in French. And then they asked Prince in this uh, interview about the whole, you know, we are the world debacle about why he chose not to participate. And he basically said that, you know, he admired everyone that was in the room and that, you know, he was kind of shy and he, you know, he didn't say that he felt intimidated, but you could tell that he just was not, that just wasn't his thing. He wasn't comfortable with doing that. And we as Purple Family, we know that that's just not how Prince recorded music. Like he would even have the engineers leave when he would do his own, record his own vocals. So it just wasn't, you know, something that he felt comfortable doing. But he did, of course, uh, contribute to the We Are The World album. And he did a song that I personally think, and of course, of course, I'm biased and as we all are. But For The Tears In Our Eyes, for me, I think was a much better song than we are the world. But, you know, like I said, that's just my opinion. But anyway, he addressed that. And he also addressed, because the interviewer was really, he had some really good questions. He asked about how Prince felt about people saying that he had turned his back on the black community by trying to uh, be more mainstream. And he basically said that he had never lost his his touch with the black community and that he grew up in a quote unquote black and white world, meaning that, you know, he had different, um, inspirations. Like he listened to James Brown, but he also listened to Fleetwood Mac. So he, you know, he had all these different influences that were black and white. He didn't just listen to just black music. He didn't just listen to quote unquote white music. And so I like that he, you know, addressed all of that and, that he also addressed the rumors about him kind of being like this hermit and, you know, just, you know, kind of isolating himself and not really, you know, liking to be around people or whatnot. And he just said that, you know, that's not who he was. Like he, you know, doesn't like cut himself off from people that he needs love and water and like everybody else, you know, he's, He's quite normal. In uh, other interviews that he would say, an, another interview that he did back in, I think, in 2004, he, he even made the comment that, you know, he was a normal person, a little high strung, uh, as he was quoted as saying, but he was very much a normal person. And so he didn't, he kind of didn't understand why people, you know, felt that, you know, he was a certain way. But as he was saying in a letter, later interview, he would just content will let people believe the lies and or being content will let people believe what they want to believe because 
after a while, there was just so much stuff in the press about Prince. Some of it was true. Some of it was maybe half true. Some of it was completely false. But he just got to the point where he was just like, fuck it, I don't care. Like, believe what you want to believe. And I know the truth, but, you know, it is what it is. Like, he didn't he didn't go as far as, like, entertaining a lot of the, bu- the bullshit that was, you know, written about him. And that's something that I can say that I have always admired about Prince. He was very straightforward and blunt. And then if people, you know, believed it, they believed it. If they didn't, they didn't. You know, they had the right to believe what they wanted. But he wasn't finna go back and forth and argue with people about what he knew to be true about, especially about himself, you know? So that MTV interview was the first interview of of Prince really just kind of like opening himself up uh, to his fans and to the MTV audience in particular. And I guess he felt like he, you know, had something, he had to definitely address the whole we are the world thing for sure, because he did get a lot of bad press after what happened to his bodyguard that was arrested after a cameraman tried to go into, uh, well, I think he did. He ended up getting into the limo with Prince. And I think, um, who I can't remember if he was out with Jill Jones or Susanna that night. They went to, uh, that club after the American music awards. Cause that's where he went instead of going to do the uh, recording for we are the world after his manager told him like, if you're not going to this, we are the world recording, don't leave, don't go anywhere. And what does Prince do? He goes out to this club called, um, Charlie something. Um, I want to say charming Charlie's, but that's not it, <laughs> but it was something Charlie, Charles and Charlie. I don't know. Anyway, some type of club slash restaurant that he went to. And when he was leaving, his bodyguard got into a scuffle with a cameraman that was trying to get a picture of uh Prince in the limousine. And, uh, he was arrested and they even made like a Saturday night skit about it after it happened. So it just really made, you know, he got a lot of bad press and it made him look bad. But, you know, like Prince said, like he, you know, that just, he just didn't want to do it. And in hindsight, I'm kind of glad that he didn't because after watching that documentary uh, on Netflix about uh, the We Are The World recording, I kind of got a feeling that Quincy and uh, Lionel Richie and maybe even Michael, but more so Quincy and Lionel. I kind of felt like they were trying to figure out a way to control Prince. And I think Prince kind of picked up on that as well. And, but Prince is the type, he wants to do things his way. Like he tried, he tried, he offered to do a, um, guitar solo. They turned that down. He said, well, give me my own separate booth. And he turned that down. And then looking at the documentary, you can see Bob Dylan, which is uh, another artist who was from Minnesota, how uncomfortable he was. Like he, it was just cringeworthy how uncomfortable Bob Dylan was. But then people were saying, well, if Bob Dylan could do it, why couldn't Prince do it? Well, cause he's Prince, Prince is Prince and Bob Dylan is Bob Dylan, right? So I just kind of felt like a kind of manipulative vibe because the American Music Awards in 85, and I'm gonna get back to the countdown. I'm sorry, y'all. You know how I get sometimes. But the uh, American Music Awards that particular night was Prince's night. He racked up, I think, like three awards that night. And he performed uh, Purple Rain. And I mean, he was just winning awards and it was just his night. And so I think Prince wanted to spend that night how he wanted to spend it. He did not want to, you know, be controlled by Quincy or Lionel. And he just wasn't going to go along with the game. And I just kind of felt, you know, that's how Prince thought about things. I could be totally wrong, but it just seemed like he just didn't like, you know, 
Prince was a type, you couldn't really tell him what to do. You know, like you're going to tell him, well, this is what I need you to do. Then he decides if he's going to do it or not, you know, but in hindsight, like I said, once again, I'm kind of glad that he did not do that because it was something, it was a moment for Michael and I'm going to say Michael Jackson and friends. (laughs) I'll say that, but I don't think it was because Michael was over it that Prince didn't come because like I said, I've talked a few times on the podcast about their, their friendship and their relationship. Now they weren't exactly buddy, buddy, but you know, they were, you know, they respected each other. So I don't think it was because of Michael being there. I really do think that, uh, Prince may have had an issue with Quincy and Quincy has, you know, uh, talked kind of bad about Prince you know, calling him a, a, not a mediocre, uh, he was an okay piano player. And, you know, he just, you know, there are some things that he said that I, you know, never cared about Quincy too much after the, some of the things that he said about Prince. But anyway, let me go on because I could just go on and on from there ever. And somebody has to be here to tell me to be like, okay, girl, shut up, go to the next one. So I'm shutting up and going to the next one. <laughs> so uh, that was number 10. So number nine is the uh, Much More Music Live uh, interview that he did back in 2004, which this Much More Music Live was kind of like TRL was back in the day, but it was in Canada. And this was the episode where he wore the, uh, uh, I think this Toronto Raptors jersey, and he had like the white blazer and the pants, and he uh, performed on the show. But this is another interview where they uh, do a lot of TikTok uh, videos about, you know, this is why they killed Prince and this is why, you know, because he's talking about, you know, the record industry and how they do things and how he felt at the time that, you know, their time was limited as far as, you know, getting away with taking, you know, artists, you know, money. And, you know, he just kind of felt like there was going to be a shelf life. And now that we see it, it's kind of, it's, he was right in the fact that streaming means more than actual physical sales now. And he kind of saw the way in which the music industry was going. And so he said in this interview that after his third album, he started recording his own music, mostly in his house, which is correct. After Dirty Mind, he recorded Nice 99 and Controversy in the, in his own uh, housing studios. And so he, uh, he stopped taking as much money uh, to produce those albums from uh, Warner Brothers. And so by the time the dispute with Warner Brothers began in 91, 92, he was trying to figure out, okay, I've been mostly doing most of this stuff without y'all's money. So now all of a sudden you're still telling me that you own the music that I've created, that has came from my head, that I've recorded in my domicile, in my house. And so he talked about how uh, that was really the whole issue. And he talked about how the music industry tries to get away with, you know, really just fucking artists, you know, out of their money, out of what they're, out of what they're uh, do. And so from about, I would say roughly 96, 97, all the way to, I would say really 2014, you know, so from the span of about what, what is that about a good, like 10 years or so almost, or a little less than 10 years, seven years or so, he talked about, you know, even after, you know, he went back to Warner Brothers in 2014, you know, and he got back on good terms with them, of course, but he still, you know, really was talking about how the record industry was just, 
just not not good for artists not for not good for artists who wanted to make a real career out of their music now he stated that you know of course art you know the record business the the record companies love artists that they can make a lot of money from that they know are not going to be around in the next you know you know five years or so you know so you know he kind of just talked you know more about that stuff and he hasn't you know prince of course isn't the only artist that has talked about that michael jackson has and several other um uh, music musicians and other people in the industry have talked about this, but he was Prince was one of one of uh, a staunch advocate for artists' rights, and so this is another um, interview where he's talking about that. Uh, and you'll like I said, you'll see it on TikToks and stuff. He's wearing the the white uh, kind of like this white hat. And he has up this microphone that he, he actually talked about the microphone because it had like an advertisement on it. And he was like, why y'all got me holding this microphone that has an advertisement on it? So, because he was just like, I don't want to endorse anything. That was another thing about Prince is that he never got really into endorsements like that. Like you never had, you never seen him endorsing like Coke or Pepsi or, you know, really anything outside of his own music. I think that's the only thing, of course, he ever endorsed. But as far as like products and things like that, you never saw Prince doing like that because he just didn't do business like that. He didn't care for endorsements and things like that because he didn't want to be beholding to anyone really but himself. So that's another thing that I admired about him as well. Okay, so going on, number eight, the Tavis Smiley interview from 1998. And I believe this might be his first one that he did with Tavis Smiley. He did about a, a, a grand total of three interviews with Tavis Smiley. And the first one we, he did was in 98. And the second one he did was in 2004. And the last one he did was in 2009. And this one from 98, his first one was very special in that this is the interview where he says, um, you can't play me. I don't get played. And that, you know, his microphone is on. It's not Memorax. And that he doesn't sample. And so he had a lot of uh, uh, little lines like that that he said. But he really just also spoke up for... Um, once again, he said that if you're not owning your own music, then you are a slave to the record companies. And he talked about the, you know, the difference between that slavery. He's not comparing like the actual slavery that African-Americans went through in this country. He's talking about, you know, actual, you know, slavery in the form of not owning your, uh, intellectual property. And he was still going by the artist, of course, at this time. And, um, I actually just watched this interview while I was at work and, uh, Tavis, of course he took, uh, phone calls. And, uh, another interesting thing about this interview before I move on is that one of the callers asked why Prince, uh, wasn't more accessible to his fans. And she's and uh, cause she was like, why don't you play in like smaller towns? And, and, uh, but before she went into that, she was like, oh my God, she's like, oh my God, she called him Prince. And, uh, but he didn't seem to mind that, but she said, you are so fine. And he kind of like made that look like the little cringe <laughs> face he made kind of like what he did when uh, Sherry Shepard did it. So he, of course, didn't, didn't walk off because the lady was on the telephone, but, um, but anyway, he just kind of made like a little, little face when she said he was fine. But then he responded by saying that he had had some issues with stalkers. 
in the past. He said that there was a lady in particular that would always send him fan mail and that he would respond and they had kind of, you know, writing letters back and forth until one day, I guess she showed up at, I guess, Paisley Park or wherever he was staying at the time and would not leave. And so after that, you know, he's also had people try to break into his houses and things like that. And so after those incidents, of course, anybody would be more cautious with dealing with the public. And I think that, you know, celebrities in general have issues like, you know, people are just crazy, you know, and they just want to, you know, be around them and stalk them. And, you know, a lot of these stalkers will kill, you know, as well. So I, I don't, you know. I hold nothing against him for that. And I don't think anybody would, but I thought that was really interesting that he talked about that. And then of course, um, Larry Graham and uh, Shaka Khan also came on to promote their albums because uh, Prince was also promoting, uh, was it, it wasn't Emancipation. Um, No, he was, he was promoting, um, he had a single called Come On which was on the uh, New Power Soul. That's what it was in 98. The New Power Soul album. Uh, He was promoting, he had a video that he showed for the Come On video. You know, with him playing that old man that kind of remind me of the Jamie Starr character. So he played that in the video. If you've never seen the Come On video, check it out. It's kind of funny. And, uh, excuse me. And so also uh, Shaka Khan and Larry Graham were on there to talk about their projects that they were working with Prince because at this time they were doing the jam of the year tour, I believe. And so Prince and Shaka and uh, Larry Graham were all going on tour together and they talked about the deals that Prince had made as far as allowing them to, you know, even though he was, I think mostly doing a lot of their music and stuff like that on these albums, but he was allowing them to keep the master recordings and they were able to keep, you know, a good majority of the money. And so like when that happens, when, when artists can own their own masters and own their music, they get like at least a hundred percent of the, of the, of the revenue. And so he talked about that with uh, Tavis as well. And of course, Tavis, I like his interviews, but one thing Tavis is very, very complimentary of Prince all the time. And almost to the point, sometimes I feel like he's just kind of sucking up a little bit. But, uh, but Prince, you know, just eats it right up, of course. But, uh, I really liked that interview. And, um, also another thing about that interview, when they came back from commercial break, uh, Tavis Smiley talked about the next guest they were having on like the following week. And it was, uh, President Clinton. And, you know, in 1998, that's when that whole, uh, Monica Lewinsky uh, thing was going on. So I think he was going on to Tavis Smiley's uh, show to kind of, I don't know, maybe address some of that, clear the air. And so when uh, Tavis Smiley announced that the president of the United States was coming on the program next week, Prince was like, what? <laughs> so he was like, okay. <laughs> so I, I thought that was kind of funny. So that is number eight. So number seven is Tavis Smiley from 2004. And so what I remember most about this interview is when he was talking about uh, Tavis was asking him about, you know, does he regret some of the, like his older material, like erotic city and, you know, you know, head, he didn't specifically mention those, uh, songs by name, but he just said, you know, just in general, did he regret, uh, any of his like, you know, saucier type of songs. 
And Prince had a really good answer. He said no, because he knew why he wrote them at the time. And so he didn't regret anything that he had ever written. But he did say that he's gotten to the point now where, you know, because during the Dirty Mind era, you know, he was all about being damn near naked on stage with his little bikini briefs and his leg warmers and, you know, that whole nine. He did say that, you know, he wouldn't dare do that at that time in 2004 because it's just old skin. (laughs) So nobody wants to see that. But you would say that, Prince, but you would still take off your shirt and we could see a little bird, hairy chest. So which one is it? (laughs) So sometimes, you know, and then he said, you know, I just can't help but be sexy. That's what it is. I mean, and that is what it is. So it was just like he... He said he lived, you know, life with no regrets as far as as far as his music goes anyway. And that um, and that he said that he wouldn't go too far with, you know, uh, being too naked on stage anymore, that he was past that. Another thing about this interview, at the very end, he did a song, which I put on the Facebook page uh, with uh, Wendy Melvon. Uh, they did uh, on acoustic. Uh, uh, I can't talk on acoustic guitar called reflections and they it was just and it was a really uh it was a good song but it was kind of short so uh check it out it's on facebook and on of course youtube but um it was one of those kind of like melancholy songs that like it could have been on uh, the truth album because you know because that truth album was all acoustic so it it sounded like a song that could have been on the the truth album and uh, that's how they ended it and so i thought that was nice that him and wendy got that time to reunite uh, for just a quick little second to do that uh, really nice, beautiful song at the end. And that's how the interview ended. So I like that he would go on and try to perform um, because they showed, I don't think he performed on the 98 interview that he did. And I don't think he performed at the 2009, but he did perform a little bit at the end of the uh, 04 interview that he did with Tavis Smiley. So that was number seven. So number six was George Lopez back in 2011. Now he did a great performance on the George Lopez. So he did the song, lay it down. He also did uh, a version of the beautiful ones with, um, Misty Copeland, which was wonderful. And then he, um, did a sit down interview with George Lopez. And this is where he talked about, uh, how, you know, he doesn't cuss anymore. And uh, so George Lopez said, so if you get up in the middle of the night and you, you know, hit your, you know, toe up against the side of the bed, what do you say? He said, artichoke (laughs) because he says he uses other words instead of cuss words and so um but George Lopez was well George Lopez I think was the one who first said well what do you say like artichoke and so uh Prince was like yeah yeah I'll say artichoke (laughs) and there's this lady that's on the um she's not on uh the shades of purple podcast uh she's on one of the uh other sister Prince pages uh, I think her her name is like Yancy or Dancy or something like that. It's an older, she looks like an older black lady, I think. But anyway, in a lot of her posts, she always says artichoke this, artichoke that. And so that made me think of her <laughs> when I thought about this um, this particular interview. Also at this interview, he uh, she talked about how he auctioned off a gold guitar. It looked like a uh, oh, one of the cloud guitars uh, that was auctioned off for charity. And then uh, he made mention that, uh, I mean, it was a beautiful guitar and he was just like, I hate to part with it. But I think some kind of, um, 
uh, NASCAR racer, I think bought it or got it at uh, the auction or whatever. And he made the comment that, you know, uh, a lot of his stuff gets stolen as far as like his, uh, his guitars and things like that. And everybody was just like, oh, and I'm just like, that's terrible, but probably very true, unfortunately. And he didn't really, of course, elaborate on that. Um, and then he also talked about, um, George Lopez, the fact that the, uh, the concerts at this time, I think it was, uh, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was, um, uh, welcome to America. Those concerts were like $25, the tickets, like insanely cheap. And I I mean, it might've been a little bit pricier back then in 2011, but, um, but no, I think $25, like you could not like name an artist right now that's on tour. You could not get $25 tickets, not even back in 2011, like Beyonce, Usher, Taylor Swift, $25 a ticket. Hell no. (laughs) Like more like 2,500. Okay. Like just crazy. And so, you know, so, so George was kind of bragging, you know, on him about that. So it was a really good interview and it was, um, a really, really good performance. Both of those songs lay it down. He had kind of like the little drum. He did, he did a little drum thing with, uh, um, Sheila E. And then, uh, I loved Misty Copeland and her dancing with, uh, the beautiful ones. And so check those out. Of course, all of this is on YouTube, but check out the George Lopez interview. It was really, really good. That is number six. Number five is Arsenio Hall, the 2014, uh, interview, which I believe if I'm not, uh, if I'm, uh, correct that this Arsenio Hall interview was actually the very last interview that he did before his death, uh, two years before his death. Exactly. Because I think he did it on April 21st, 2014, which is really, which is really, which is really eerie when you think about it. But in this interview, he also talked about, this is another interview that is often quoted on TikTok and YouTube as examples of, you know, of Prince kind of giving away things about how the record come, how the record industry really is. And he even made a, uh, he made a quote about, you know, they'll probably edit this out talking about, you know, the things that he was talking about, but they didn't edit it out. Uh, but he just said, Hey, you know, these people, you know, these, rep, these record company execs are screwing people over, you know, with how, um, they can give away your, you know, your, uh, he talked about, what is that law, um, where people can just like sample your music and they don't have to, you know, get your approval for it. You know, if they go through the record company that owns your stuff, if you don't own your masters, they don't have to go to you to get it cleared. They can just go through the record company that owns the master recording to get it cleared. I think it's some kind of, uh, oh, I can't think of it. I'll probably think of it later, the law. But he has quoted that law a few times because Prince, like, for example, a lot of people think that he was okay with Sinead O'Connor doing that version of uh, Nothing Compares to You, her version of it. He did not. He did not clear that. He did not want that. But that is something that Warner Brothers allowed her to do. So, you know, stuff like that. And that really bothered him because that was his, he considered his songs. And he said this on several interviews as well, that he considers his songs to be his babies. Those are his children. Cause you know, he never unfortunately had his own children, but those songs were like his children. And so like, you wouldn't want to give your child away. So in Prince's mind, that's exactly how it was. So, but he, he had, he did, he spoke a lot of gems in that interview. And another thing he talked about, um, was, um, 
you know, his uh, favorite song at the time that he liked to do was The Breakdown, which uh, 2014 was when uh, The Artificial Age was released. And um, and I can see why he liked The Breakdown because The Breakdown, I'm going to eventually do a song analysis about that song analysis episode about The Breakdown because it's also one of my favorite songs of his later songs. For those people, uh, purple people that haven't listened to some of Prince's later recordings that he did right before his death, uh, Artificial Age is a fire album, as is uh, the last, the very last album that he made during his lifetime, Hit and Run Phase 2. Please check those two albums out if you haven't already. A lot of good music on those albums. And so he said that, you know, it wasn't, he didn't say it was his favorite song he ever recorded, but he said normally he would answer that question by saying the next one, you know, as far as like what his favorite song was. But currently he said that that was his favorite song. And then he said, uh, Arsenio asked him what he would do if he wasn't Prince, like if he wasn't doing music. And so Prince thought about it and he said, well, you know what? I think I would rather, I would uh, probably be doing some type of music teaching of some sort. And just imagine if Prince was still with us right now, he would be like the world's best music teacher. Okay. Like who would want to take a music lesson with Prince? So I just hate that, you know, he wasn't never able to do that because I think eventually he may have wanted that for Paisley Park. He did want it to be a music. He did want it to be a museum. Okay. A lot of people don't think that, that he wanted it, but he did want it to be a museum. So it is being used for the purposes that he wanted. Uh, but I think also he would have liked to eventually maybe had a school or something like that, uh, that he would of course spearheaded, but you know, I will never know, but I, I hate that, you know, he's not with us anymore to have been able to do that. But that was our senior hall in 2014 at number five. So at number four, I have Mel B's interview from 1998. And so this was when he was also uh, promoting um, New Power Soul because they did talk about that. And in this interview, <laughs> Prince and Mel B a little bit, but I think a little bit more Prince was definitely flirty, very, very flirty. Now, at this time in 1998, he was, of course, still married to Maite. So I knew, of course, Mel B knew that. And also at this time, come to find out later that Mel B was herself pregnant, I think, with her uh, oldest uh, daughter. About She said about three or four months pregnant uh, with her uh, oldest daughter at this time. So I don't know if they hooked up or not. I wouldn't be surprised if they did, but... I know in her book, supposedly she talked about how she um, stayed at Paisley Park for a couple of days. And she actually just had an interview not too long ago talking about that. And I'm like, a couple of days. Okay. But, you know, she was able to get him to talk about many different things and in between the flirting, of course. And at one point they had this uh, word association game and uh, and uh, Mel B asked him so... Um, you know, I think she said like food, like what is the first thing that you think of? And he said, my <laughs> when she said food. And then, um, so I thought that was funny. And then he talked about, you know, her having a pimp watch and, you know, she had on this long lilac colored, um, dress and like these big platform boot looking things and this long, like ponytail. And so you could tell that Prince was checking her out the whole time and that he really enjoyed the interview and like I said, he was being very flirty with her. Uh, when they went outside to the little swing set, uh, she said, uh, Mel B made the comment, you know, I would like to, uh, you know, I'm thinking about maybe writing a movie or something like that. 
and would you do um and would you do a movie he was like yeah I'll do a movie with you and my mind because my mind is always in the gutter <laughs> went to like what kind of movie are you talking about friends <laughs> you know because the way he said it's like yeah I'll do a movie with you and so and they you know played on the playground for a little bit and then they went back in and then um Prince was asking about her limo and you know did you she was like no I didn't you know why are the why is it that color you know it was black in the shades you know the um the the tint was really really dark and she was like oh well I didn't order it like that and he was just like hmm <laughs> so I'm like okay what's really going on in this interview like it's a it's a really it's a really cute interview and you know he was talking about her butt and how brother's like a big butt on a woman and you know she shouldn't be worried about you know her butt and I'm just like what's going on (laughs) so check that out I'm not gonna say that they did something but if you listen to that song mad sex because I do know that they did have interactions before the interview so I'm not saying that the song mad sex is about Mel B but I don't know because he has like this fake British accent in the song so if y'all have ever listened to that song mad sex on the new power soul album check that out and let me know what y'all think either tell me in the comments on spotify or youtube or just let me know on the facebook page somewhere what do you think about that song mad sex and could it be about mel b so moving on number three in that interview is uh larry king live the one he did in 1999 in december of 1999 right before he did the big uh 1999 uh, pay-per-view show that he did at Paisley Park and in this Larry King interview he talked about you know his childhood talked about how um you know he got eventually he got noticed in his neighborhood doing music but he was very vague like he didn't mention you know um his first band that he was in uh Grand Central and he, you know, he didn't mention anybody, you know, like that. And so I don't know if he was being shady because he also acted like he could remember that his first manager's name, which I'm like, come on, Prince. Okay. <laughs> like he totally forgot about Owen Husney. He was like my first manager whose name escapes me, you know? And so he, um, he also kind of refuted some things about that people thought that he had like this hard upbringing, you know, based on, you know, Purple Rain, the movie and all that. He was like, no, he didn't really have what he would call a hard upbringing. But, you know, there were times where his father was hard on him. But, you know, he kind of refuted that, you know, that he had like a really, you know, horrible upbringing. He said it wasn't, you know, like as bad as what people may have thought. And um, he was very like open with Larry King in a surprising way. Because Prince is usually very, he tries to be very shy a lot in a lot of interviews. and But he was very open. I guess Larry kind of made him comfortable enough to uh, kind of open up. And because Larry asked him, he was like, well, he, he kind of let it know that, you know, uh, the network that they were on was owned by Warner Brothers. And so he kind of was warning, I think, Prince to be like, well, the artist as he was known then to kind of, I don't know, watch what you say or how you say things. But Prince, you know, he still took it all in stride. And he said that, you know, the dispute was, you know, really blown more out of proportion than what, you know, in the press in particular, 
because he said that, you know, he always had love for Warner Brothers, even during, you know, their misunderstandings, because he said that he sent a letter to uh, the head of Warner Brothers at the time and just told him that he loved him. You know, and he also repeated this in the 98 interview that he did on uh, Tavis Smiley as well. He said the same thing that, uh, you know, he was very grateful for what Warner Brothers did for him in his career. But he had just got to a point where he just wanted to own his music because he felt like that was his right to do so and that um, he was very grateful and that he just wanted to, um, you know, like I said, own, own his music. And that was the only dispute that they had as far as like him, you know, being able to distribute his music and put out his music when he wanted to. But other than that, he said he didn't have any issues with Warner Brothers. And uh, so he really talked about that and how, and of course, Larry Graham came out and I'm saying that I'm, I'm going to just say this. I'm not the biggest Larry Graham fan. There's some things that I liked about Larry Graham and there's some things that I don't like, but that is a whole nother podcast episode that I'll have to get to eventually when we get to that. Cause we're, we're still right in the, we're in the nineties in the podcast right now as far as material. Now, of course, I'll go back to the 80s and, you know, skip ahead to the 2000s and 2010s if I have to, depending on, you know, your request uh, as far as subjects go. But for me right now, I'm focusing on the 90s. And the next episode, I'm actually going to try to do a review of the slave documentary that came out in 2014 about how Prince changed the music industry. Since we're uh, still talking about um, that the, uh, the 90s and the whole dispute with Warner Brothers thing. Um, but going back to Larry King's interview, he also talks a lot about, um, like the song 1999 and how they went about first creating the song, which I thought was really interesting how they took it, uh, from a a one part to a three part harmony, kind of like a Sly and the Family Stone song. And so he talked about that and how, um, you know, speaking of which back in 1999, you know, the whole Y2K thing. For those of you that are old enough to remember how everybody thought the world was going to end uh, because of this Y2K bug or whatever that was supposed to take out all of the, you know, computers and stuff like that. Of course, that didn't happen. And, and Larry King asked Prince what he thought about that. And of course, Prince was like, no, I'm not worried about that shit. It's <laughs> he didn't say shit, but he, he was just like, I'm not worried about any of that. So so it was a very interesting and informative interview. So that's number three. At number two, we have Chris Rock in 1997. So uh, Chris Rock had his own uh, talk show uh, back in the late 90s on HBO. And um, the interview that he did with Prince or the artist at the time, because this is still during the assemble period, uh, was very, very interesting because he spoke on Michael Jackson for the first time. And he said he talked about um, why he didn't take uh, Michael Jackson up on the offer to do a duet on bad. He said, the first line of that song is your butt is mine. So <laughs> he was like, who going to sing that to who? Cause I'm sure not singing it to you and you sure not singing it to me. So that's where we have a problem. <laughs> and a lot of people, a lot of like people that don't like Prince are not as big as fans as we are. Uh, will say things like, well, why would he turn around and say something about that? But he would have his ass out at the 91 um, uh, MTV Video Music Awards. And I would say those are two separate incidents. He had his ass out in the in the yellow costume for that because I, once again, I think he did that to just show people to kiss his ass if they had a problem with him. And as far as this, 
uh, with the Michael Jackson and bad, he was just like, no, <laughs> like he just wasn't feeling it. And he has a right to feel the way he feels. And a lot of Michael Jackson fans feel some type of way about it, but it is what it is. He was very honest in the fact that he just did not care for the lyric. And also though, I think another thing that Prince kind of understood was that I, that Prince, that uh, Michael Jackson was trying to punk him on the low. Like, how you gonna tell me your butt is mine and that you bad and then I'm like, nigga, who are you? <laughs> like, you not finna punk me on record? And he actually, and Prince actually supposedly said that to um, Alan Leeds, his uh, tour manager at the time. And he was just like, no, I'm not here for that. Like, we can work together, but you don't have to punk me. You don't have to make me less lesser than you, you know, just because you want to try to prove a point. He like, miss me with that shit. So that's all that, all that was about. But I did like how Prince kind of walked away, you know, mockingly when, because uh, Chris was trying to bash Michael. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and Prince wasn't there for it. He was just like, because, you know, he's, Chris says something like, you know, when Michael Jackson got caught with the kids and here you are. And as soon as he said that, he's like, mm, you know, he kind of walked off kind of like he, what he did with Sherry Shepard when she started with her bullshit, um, talking about she wanted to sleep with him and shit. So he kind of did the same thing with Chris Rock started talking about. So I think that because of that, I think Prince, you know, he may have had him and Michael might may have had their differences, but he still respected Michael Jackson as an artist. And he never believed those allegations that came up against him about, you know, child molestation. I don't think Prince believed any of that. And he just didn't want to entertain anybody talking to him about it, especially on an interview. And so I can respect that he got up and, you know, mockingly left. Uh, and another thing he talked about was kind of his upbringing and how his mother left around like, um, porn magazines and like, you know, dirty magazines and to try to, you know, talk to him about the birds and the bees without talking to him. And so kind of leaving that literature around for him to see. And he said that kind of, you know, helped develop his, uh, sexuality and his, uh, love for all things dirty and sex and things like that. And he said some of that, you know, back in the day, uh, was a plane. It was kind of, you know, plain as far as like, you know, him leaning up against Andre and then, you know, uh, Gail Chapman, who was his keyboardist at the time, he would go over there and, you know, uh, struck her face. So, you know, he was kind of playing around with people because people back then, especially kind of wondered if he was bisexual or gay and things like that. And he knew that. And he, you know, and I said in another episode of the podcast, a really early episode of the podcast that he used that to his advantage and would kind of play off of people that, you know, kept people guessing, you know, like what he was, was he black? Was he white? Was he gay? Was he straight? Kind of like the song controversy, you know, like he was just like, I don't understand, you know, (laughs) why people are so stuck on what am I, you know, just listen to the music and respect that. And that's what he was always on. So that was number two. Number one, drum roll, please. Which is just me knocking on this uh, desk here. (laughs) But number one is Tavis Smiley's 2009 interview. uh, That was, it took two days, actually, April 27th and April 28th of 2009. So he was on there for two straight days. He went on there to promote his, uh, Lotus Flower album, uh, the three-part album, uh, Lotus Flower, Minneapolis Sound, and uh, also, um, what was her name? Her uh, Elixir album, uh, Bria Valente. 
who of course was his girlfriend at the time, but also one of his protégés. So he came on there to, to promote her album and his album, but he also talked about uh, some very controversial topics, one being chemtrails. Now, I don't know if y'all heard of chemtrails, but chemtrails are basically like the lines that you see in the sky sometimes. And so Prince, he said that he watched a documentary that was done by Dick Gregory, who has also uh, since passed away a few years ago. But Dick Gregory was a comedian, but he was also, um, I guess you could say he was kind of a philosopher uh, in his own way. And he talked about, you know, he different things or whatnot. And so in this documentary, he talked about chemtrails and, and Prince, after he watched the documentary, he was just like, wow, you know, that does make a lot of sense. You would see those lines in the sky. And then the next thing you know, people are fighting in the neighborhood and crime and people breaking into stuff and, you know, just all this crazy stuff would start happening. And so the idea behind chemtrails is that the government is actually putting something in the air that is causing people to act violent. And so he talked about that in this interview. And he also talked about um, uh, how he grew up. He was born epileptic. And so he would get, epi- ep- I think I'm saying that right, ep- epileptic seizures. And he had those all the way up until he was about seven years old. And then he um, he stopped having them when an angel Uh, came to him and said that he wasn't going to have him anymore. And this is what his mother told him that he said. And so this was the first time that he talked, you know, uh, extensively about his childhood and about his relationship with his father and the fact that, you know, his father would never, you know, let Prince like play on the piano because he would try and that he would, you know, and then Prince would say that his father would tell him that's not even close to what. I'm doing, you know, like you, you want to play, but you can't play. So, you know, his, you know, so Prince's dad and kind of like with Joe and Michael Jackson, um, his dad was kind of hard on him at time. He was like, it was like being in the army, you know, in a way. And so he, he shared a lot of that. So he shared a lot of his personal life that he had never shared in any other interview, uh, prior to that. And it was a very interesting interview. There's a lot to unpack with that particular interview. They talked about, um, there was a uh, documentary on PBS about, um, uh, uh, what, what is that boxer's name? Um, uh, Joe Johnson, I think his name was, uh, or Jack, you know, Jack Johnson, Jack Johnson, who was the first black heavyweight and how he had to, you know, go through all of this, um, you know, this hardship, like he was, you know, in the ring fighting white men and and winning and knocking these white men out. But then he would turn around and they would try to throw the fight. You know, they would try to, you know, <laughs> no, this white man isn't knocked out. <laughs> like Jack Johnson didn't just knock him out, you know, so he went. So he talked about all of the adversity that he that Jack Johnson went through. And um, <laughs> in another part of the interview, uh, I know I'm skipping around, but. Tavis Smiley asked him about the lyrics of some of these songs. And then that's when he revealed this really funny tidbit. He said that uh, Prince said that a lot of people, uh, there was, he's seen a lot of different rewrites of some of his lyrics. And one, he said, um, Little Red Corvette was pay the rent collect. <laughs> and then when Dove's Cry was, uh, uh, dig if you will, the picture, me, Marvin Gaye, and the kids. <laughs> And he said with the little red Corvette line, he said it was from a woman that, um, from a person, he didn't say a woman. What? Well, he said her, 
uh, that didn't uh, speak the English language too good. And so she thought Little Red Corvette was pay the rent collect. And I believe he was talking about his ex-mother-in-law, Maite's mother, Nellie. <laughs> that was kind of the implication because he said that the only reason why the two of them knew each other was because she had a cute daughter. <laughs> so, so that was another little interesting tidbit about that particular interview. Uh, but I think that is it. That was my number one. And there's a lot of other stuff in that interview too. So go check it out. And I might... After I post this, uh, I might put some of those interviews up tomorrow for you to uh, peruse on uh, the Facebook page uh, from YouTube. So um, I'll probably do that as well. And I will be taking requests for uh, topics for the podcast. Now, as far as how it's going to look on YouTube, they're still going to be kind of like how they are now, audio only for now, because it is just, I'm still new to the whole editing thing. So you guys just please just give me some patience and some grace with that. I plan on trying to do, um, I hope to do at least one reaction before the end of the month on YouTube, but we'll see how that goes. But I'm going to continue to do the podcast like this until all the way up until June, because, uh, Spotify is getting rid of Spotify for podcasters June 1st. So I won't be able to do the audio only, uh, podcast, at least not on this, uh, uh, platform. I have to find another platform if I want to do audio only, but we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But I'm going to go ahead and end the episode. You guys, thank you so much for listening as always. And I'll see y'all pretty soon uh, on the Facebook page. Hit me up on uh, the Facebook Shades of Purple podcast. Um, we're also on Instagram as well. I put a lot of reels up on Instagram. I don't really put a whole lot of pictures and things like that up, but I think that might change. I might go back to putting up some more printers, uh, pictures of prints and maybe even some pictures of me and um, some things going on uh, with my uh, Prince wall and, you know, doing some shorts and things like that. So I got some things, like I got some things coming up. So Uh, So stick with me, y'all. Stick with me. And thank you so much, as always, for tuning in. Peace and be wild. And may you live to see the dawn. Bye.